You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. A little over a year ago, I was at a presentation given by one of this episode's guests, Tara Giannis. Sometimes you hear something, a fact, a statement, an anecdote that, although perhaps it's obvious, it's only obvious after you give it a second thought. Tara explained that differently abled individuals, whether in a wheelchair or not, are the largest minority in the world. That statement alone seems like an oxymoron, but it's true nonetheless. Now, the next point that Tara made has stuck with me ever since. Being differently abled is the only minority group that anyone can find themselves to be a part of at any given moment. An accident tomorrow could suddenly change your situation. Your current world could suddenly seem like it's surrounded in barriers. But the truth of the matter is, those barriers have always been there. It's your perspective that could change overnight. This episode will be discussing barriers on mountain bike trails. And I'm hopeful that as an advocate or builder, it will help shift your perspective on the things you do going forwards. I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 44 of Frontlines. This episode of the podcast was recorded in the Nuts and Mats branch of the Vancouver Public Library. And before we get to that discussion, I just want to mention that there's a brand new Frontlines MTB Facebook group. You can find it by searching for advocates on the front lines of MTB. And a big thanks to everyone who has joined the group. It's been great to see all the conversation that's happened already. Now on to this episode's panel discussion. I'd like to welcome to the show four guests. First off, I want to welcome Tara Giannis to the show. She's a past guest and founder and CEO of Tara Giannis Industries. Hi, Tara. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Brent. And next, we've got Jeremy McGee. He's an athlete and ambassador out in California. He's also the founder of Sport on USA. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Stoked to be here. And Ethan Kruger, who is the founder and creator of Adaptive MTB Trails out in British Columbia. Hi, Ethan. Yeah, thanks for having me. And last but not least is Andrew Ladawi, founder of Break the Boundary out in Australia. Hi, Andrew. Good day, Mike. Great to be here. So in one respect, this is a, a diverse group of individuals. You come from all over the world, California, Canada, Australia, but in other respects, you share a number of things in, in common and you've all suffered permanent injuries, but most importantly, each and every one of you is a founder of, of either a company or an organization, and you're all advocates for reducing barriers in, in one way or another. And now when we think of trail advocates, this is someone who has made a choice to, to volunteer their time, to give back to the trails and to the community. But when someone finds themselves in a wheelchair, how much are they obligated to become an advocate for themselves? I just wanted to get back out, you know, on the mountain. And um, in order to do that, I think that when I started to do that, um, I found so many barriers in the way that, um, you know, you could try to talk to other people about, you know, working on it for you and this and that, but when you're the one in the situation, you have a real vested interest in trying to find ways around that. 
and to, to get people's attention, I guess, to, to try to help you in that quest. So I think you kind of just start from there. I don't know. I, I, I can't speak for the rest of you. Um, I don't know that I necessarily started out thinking in that way that it was going to be a, a, a greater thing. It just sort of started out by, I wanted to get here and I wanted to get there. And then I'd bump into other people that wanted to do the same. So that's kind of how it started for me anyway. I, I really like what Tara just said, and I want to expand on that. What she said about finding herself in that situation. Um, there's a lot more to that. That's just a, a glimpse because that's a pretty big situation that I'm sure all of us on this panel have found ourselves in. And I don't consider myself an advocate by any means. I've kind of just fallen into that role by default because I've gotten stuck out there. I've gotten in some really serious, precarious situations when I've been riding by myself. I've even had to get helicoptered out of situation a situation before. And as awesome as these cool bikes are that we ride, you know, there are limitations and that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes, but it's just reality. It's just the way things are. And if um, I can somehow gain the knowledge that it takes for me to ride safely in, in new places and places I'm unfamiliar with, that's what I want. And if that knowledge helps other people, that's even better. I agree with Jeremy big time that we tend not to see ourselves as advocates and when it comes to a lot of workshops and forums and symposiums and things like that, uh, I personally tend to avoid that title and again it's just part and parcel with what we do, uh, we just get on with it and, and then yeah part of that is that we help push the agenda out there to the, to the wider community. I think I think we need, um, you know, if we are going to use the word advocates, I think we need as many people who are actually in those positions where they need uh, or want something, desire something or some particular outcome. Uh, my experience over the years is that I'm the only, uh, <laughs> I am the wheelchair guy at these, you know, workshops and these big presentations that go for a full day or sometimes over a week and I, sometimes I just wish uh, that there are other people in a very similar situation as me pushing that agenda and I think that has more it has more influence um, to get things happening and I think it's good to have other people you know fighting for our cause as well but I think there's more value in guys such as ourselves you know really pushing that. So I, I have three current uh, AMTB trail rating systems in front of me right now, and, and there's a, a link to all of those in the show notes. Uh, one is from Break the Boundary, and, and Andrew, that's that's your group, and and not only is this a, a trail rating system, but you also have a complete uh, guide for adaptive mountain biking. And and when did the process of, of creating uh, this document, as, as well as just the organization, uh, Break the Boundary itself, when did that all begin? My journey started back in about 2012 when I first discovered adaptive mountain bikes. And that was uh, me just going in my day chair down some walking trails, uh, some pretty rugged ones. And then I um, came back home after my trip and thought, you know, there's got to be a better way of getting out there uh, without having to rely on other people to get you up and down these trails. So 
that's where the journey really started. Uh, we found the equipment uh, through Sport On, did some fundraising, and then from there I just tried to find uh, one of the bigger events uh, in Australia, and that was the uh, Cape to Cape, which is held annually here in West Australia. So that was the starting point. Um, after about a year, I started Break the Boundaries as a way of just getting information out there. Uh, for people to find out where to go riding, uh, what the, what's involved with the equipment, and you know, just to start a little community. So if anyone had any questions, they could fire it my way. We formally established as an Australian charity uh, just the beginning of this year. Uh, we're also an Australian body as well, so that we can operate around the country. So we've done all the formalities to get that in place, so that we can really just launch it. And just uh, three years ago, I reckon, we started putting all that knowledge in the form of our guidelines. And as you said, Brent, uh, it does encompass everything, including including trail design um, and the trail rating system. You know, it covers a whole range of other topics such as support rider tips, um, uh, how to manage and run events, include adaptive categories, some of the barriers and difficulties with individuals that we're challenged with so yeah it's really it's sort of the go-to and then if any people have questions and things like that afterwards then we're more than happy to to help them out there the second rating system that i have is uh is ethan's from adaptive and mtb trails in uh in british columbia and uh, ethan when did this process start of creating uh this rating system well, this system kind of developed naturally, actually, um, pretty much started when we were, uh, when we started, when I started riding my mountain bike after I got it at uh, the end of last year. And then when we, uh, we, we decided to start posting reviews as to the trails that me and my fiance were riding, we had quickly realized that we needed to put a rating system on this so that um, people going back and looking at these trails would be able to have a good judgment as to... Um, whether they were uh, suited for their ability or skill level or both. So we kind of just started rating these trails on our Instagram, actually, um, out of 10 to begin with, and then found that that could be uh, a little bit convoluted as far as actually getting a system in place. So what we did is we just kind of adopted the the same kind of system as the uh, IMBA as far as uh, a 1 out of 5 rating, or the green, uh, blue, and uh, black trail ratings but quickly realized that um, there needed to be a second part to our rating system being that we have to factor in accessibility to the trail or that incorporates like getting to the trail in general as far as parking accessibility access to the trail if it's not like right out of the parking lot if it's like a, another trail to get to a trail type thing or a road or what have you and also encountering gates and things like this that oftentimes are uh, pretty hard to navigate on an AMTV bike. So we kind of incorporated the, the, two, um, the two ideas of using the, a traditional rating system as well as adding in an adaptive um, rating system for accessibility purposes and tried to mull it into one holistic rate uh, for each trail and give it a one out of, a one out of five trail rating uh, based on those kind of two principles. And so we just started using that system, and uh, it seems to work pretty well for us. So that's kind of what we have, uh, what we've kind of invented slash adapted and started using. Awesome. 
And Jeremy, I know that that you and I have discussed a, a rating system in the past and, and how challenging it can be uh, when you take into account, you know, the variations of, of bikes, uh, riders ability and, and the trail conditions. So uh, your YouTube channel has a, a number of uncut helmet cam videos of trails so that other uh, AMTB riders can can kind of do their homework before getting out on the, the ride. What, what kind of challenges are, are out there when it comes to uh, trying? to take those variations into account and and, and why have you kind of l- more leaned towards these uncut uh, trail videos instead? I was working on a rating system a, a, as well and have looked at everybody else's. The trouble that I've run into is um, there's two very different situations that an adaptive rider is going to be in and they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. And one is riding solo, and the other is riding with another person. And so how are we going to create a rating system for both of those two different situations? Because they're so very different. And there's basically a, a huge division in the types of trails that are there in that. Basically, fire road and double track versus... Uh, trails and single track. And so rating those is and and creating a system for these very different situations where the obstacles are exponential when you're talking about an adaptive rider. And for me, the the logic of it, I I ran to a block with trying to create a system. When I think of the, um, the actual practical use of a rating system, when I am traveling by myself and I think of uh, knowing 100% uh, whether I can do a trail with my ability level and my bike and my weird brain, the fear that gets into my head in different situations, I still don't know. I, I still don't know and I'm still not fully confident and the only way that I can really understand a trail before I do it to the best of my ability is to to see video of it, to see video of somebody riding it. That is really the, the best way to know a trail. And if we operate under that blanket, then really a rating system, if we indicate when obstacles exist on the trails that we deem accessible, such as fire roads and double track, then a rating system sums up somewhat becomes obsolete if you, uh, if you think of the logic behind it. And basically, when I travel, the information that I need to know is... Where can, I, where can I ride safely when I'm on my own? I've kind of moved away from this whole concept of a rating system. If we um, operate under this blanket statement that you shouldn't, really should not ride single track on your own for the first time. I don't know. That's kind of where my thoughts have been moving to. And it's kind of different than from where I've been. What, what do you guys think about it? Oh man, no, I would totally agree with uh, the don't ride a single track trail for the first time solo. That's just, you're asking for it at that point. I mean, I can't, I don't even know how many times I've, I've ridden a, a trail first time with people and, and encountered things that if I was solo, I'd be totally screwed. So yeah, I 100% agree with that, that that should be almost in, it should almost be a little uh, little piece of paper that comes with the bike when you buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so then I guess my question is is um if we're going to insist that adaptive riders operate, you know, 
uh, under this, I guess, uh, philosophy, then how does a rating system come into play then um, in that situation? If I'm deciding on a trail um, to ride or not when I'm when I'm on my own. Well, I I I uh, I kind of I kind of agree with what you're saying there. Um, with the fact that like a rating system, I mean, if it's an AMTB friendly trail, it's an AMTB friendly trail. I mean, physically, the bike can get down the trail. But where the where I think the rating system might actually have a little bit of a uh, little a little bit of weight behind it is most times these riders are not riding by themselves. They are riding with groups, and these groups are friends, family, what have you. But they are also going to be looking towards uh obstacles and things like that steepness of terrain uh tightness of trail even even things when it comes to turning radius i mean these are things that we have um added into our reviews of these trails for exactly that reason to allow people to do their homework on a trail before they um before they ride it and like and like you jeremy i do the same thing where i um upload uncut footage of each trail that i do to uh to a youtube channel just so that people can go and take a look at a top to bottom run but more more than that it's just so that people can assess their own skill level and be able to look at a trail and read up these uh read up these things and find out okay well i'm not there yet even though this trail physically can handle an adaptive mountain bike maybe my skill level isn't quite there yet maybe i need to go look at another trail and essentially that's where the rating system comes in is you can key search, like you can easily search up uh, trails within your uh, skill level at a faster and um, maybe easier, having an easier time at it rather than trying to, because I mean, even then like GoPro footage and stuff like that, I mean, it's great, but sometimes like I've, 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 I've done some pretty cool stuff on GoPro and then go and watch it later and go, ah, dang it. That doesn't look anything like it did back when I was sitting there. But, uh, it looks way cooler in real life, but uh, things like that. So I mean, it's 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 kind of a it's kind of an interesting one that you you make a good point of is is if a, if a trail is AMTB friendly, then I mean that's kind of the the baseline for it. I mean, after that, it just becomes what kind of terrain, what kind of um, obstacles are in the way after that. But you make a good point there. Yeah. So the, the other resource that I've been looking at is, is it comes out of Colorado. It's, it's part of a a adaptive trails and they have an 11 level system. And so level one is, is a paved recreation path. Uh, level 11 is, is, uh, is a single track that's too narrow and, and, and it's just not accessible. And so you've got nine kind of levels that, that aren't pavement uh but are are passable and and that's kind of this attempt to to try to fill in that that gray area of like it could work but at at what point does it work and at what point doesn't it work and and maybe it's not for everybody yeah it's interesting because that whole gray area means maybe (laughs) and maybe could turn into a really bad situation so speaking from the the perspective of a of a trail builder, I I tend to get kind of hung up on the the trail itself, but uh, there's there's a a barrier you know just within the parking lot uh, alone, and so you know how important is having a barrier free parking or or trailhead um, for an adaptive mountain bike rider? 
Well, I think it's hugely important. I mean, if, if we want to be able to get from, from the lot and onto the trail, we have to find different ways to, to make it work for us. I know that there's certain gates that are set up, you know, for ATVs not to be able to, to get on the trail. Um, a lot of times we can kind of sneak under those gates, but especially if you're by yourself, in some cases, that's just not going to work. Uh, there's been cases where, you know, you know, I've got a friend or two with me and they've got to, you know, pop me up on kind of one wheel and kind of shimmy me in. And then once, once, you know, we're in, sometimes it works, sometimes we get in and then there's another fence or another gate that we have to work around. So, you know, I think there's, there's some definite discussions to, to be had uh, with that so that you know, we can all be able to enjoy the trails and be able to get where we want to get to. And, um, yeah. And Tara, I know we've, we've spoken about this in, in a previous episode and, and gates in, in particular, you know, are, are there trails out there that, that could be accessible if it just wasn't for a gate or a rock at the very start of it? And like, how often is that the case? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's been, yeah, trails that I've been on that have just a big, massive boulder right in the way. And, and then other trails, like I was just saying, where, um, I've started on, uh, like found kind of a workaround, got onto the trail and then further up the trail, there was a, a chain link fence. So, you know, I'd hop out of the, of the bike and then pop it on its side, carry it sideways through the chain link fence, then to get back on. So, yeah, I mean, I don't found it too, too much, but, um, you know, it seems like more of the gates I can generally ride underneath. I can just kind of limbo underneath it, but it's, it's definitely something that is a a discussion to be had. This is definitely where we become advocates by default is one labeling these spots where obstacles exist. And then two, one by one, slowly fixing them in our in our relative areas so we can eliminate these obstacles slowly over time. So Andrew, I know in in Western Australia there's there's been some some success and with working with with the local trail associations and there's even a, a race series that happens in in Western Australia. You know, has this gate issue been addressed uh, within Western Australia? Are there some solutions for for some of those those uh, access points that do have gates uh, associated with them? The case in Australia is a little bit different. Um, there are certain trail networks which will have gates and again to prevent similar things like motorbikes and ATVs uh, getting on board. But for the most part, we tend not to have uh, gates at the trailheads. Uh, so it's something that we don't encounter very often. Um, but when we do, we work closely with the parks and wildlife, whatever the state or territory department is and also the local mountain bike clubs and you know we pin that down on our gps and say you know here's a little uh obstacle that we need to look look into and they're they're quite receptive with that and it's usually just shifting a thing or two out of the way to make things accessible while keeping in mind uh, the original purpose of what that obstacle was there for 
either the municipalities or the districts where you're at being open. And I think that'd be the same in Canada. You know, I think it's just a matter of really bringing it to people's attention and, and explaining it and finding uh, a different way to, to, to make a workaround so that they feel comfortable that ATVs or vehicles aren't going to get in there, but that we're able to get in there. With our bikes being, you know, a little over three feet wide, we're kind of in that ATV mold uh, in terms of width. So I do think that it's just a matter of us bringing it to their attention. And then I, I do think that, that we find solutions. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think it's just one of those conversations that has never been never been had really. It's never never even really been brought up. And to be honest, I mean even even back when I was riding on two wheels, I had never even given a second thought to a gate. I mean, if it if it was too tight to even get around, you just threw your bike over it and kept going. Sometimes the gates are wide enough some or uh, or tall enough so you can sneak under them. Sometimes there's a little bit of space beside them where you can kind of squeak your way through with them maybe Exactly what Tara was describing, a little bit of finagling with some buddies. But uh, even then, I mean, not all bikes are the same kind of bike either. Some are a little bit different. Some are rec- uh, more of a recumbent style where you lie back and are little, like, different shapes and sizes too. So, I mean, there's not necessarily a one a one shape fits all type situation for this either. So, I mean, and the answer to to a, to fixing a gate problem, I don't actually have an answer for that. I've, I I I have yet to come up with a, a viable solution to keep ATVs and things like that out, but yet have the same width or uh, able to accommodate getting an AMTB bike through. I mean, I mean, that's, that, that's a math question that I'll leave the, I'll leave the physicists for, but for now, I mean, I, that's exactly it. I don't know, but to bring it back to the original point, I don't think that conversation has really been had with a lot of organizations and trail building uh, groups and things like that, because it's just something that has never been brought up before. It's true. The conversation is is new. Uh, Are you talking about people in wheelchairs are out exploring the wilderness now? Yeah, this is a this is a the technology is here now. It's and this is just a a a good thing. And uh, the conversation is starting. And um, yeah, we're going to figure out a way to make those gates the right way. Um, And it's it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. So Ethan, when I look at your rating system, uh, what kind of jumps out at me uh, right away, you've, you've got uh, kind of an, an A5 through A1 uh, access, and, and correct me if I'm wrong there, it's A5 is the, the most accessible, uh, A1 being the, the least accessible. Uh, but your, your, your first three kind of uh, rows on here, the first one's parking, uh, and, you, and you rate those on that, that five rating scale. Facilities is the next one. Um, and then trail access. I mean, you, you really commit a lot of your rating system um, to content that isn't even related to the trail itself. Um, and so it really sounds like this is almost one of the biggest obstacles out there is, is just trying to get to the trailhead. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, um, I've found a lot of, like, uh, a lot of times where you, you, you get to where the trail is supposed to be. And then you realize very quickly that not only can you not get even a, a parking spot, like you're literally confined to the side of a road or, um, things like that where or you can get you you can park just fine but uh the access like a lot of times there is access trails to main trailheads and things like that 
Um, and those accesses are, are usually, or not usually, but sometimes they can be like steep ascending single track trails. Uh, another thing with, is uh, regarding the facilities and things like that is um, what I know of uh, when it comes to adaptive sports is there is a very broad spectrum of abilities um, when it comes to adaptive sports. Um, I've seen guys that uh, have minimal use of hand function climb rock climb mountains. Like it's insane what people can do these days. But with the, with, with the different levels of ability – uh, come different needs and um, and challenges to to meet those needs um, when it comes to uh, accessing trails. Um, so a lot of times people will like need to uh, use the washroom before they go to before they go down a trail or things like that, or maybe even adjust some equipment that they might have as a part of their adaptive needs. Um, and uh, a lot of the times there's there's no area or building or even an accessible washroom to be able to do this. Um, and for a lot of people, that is a significant barrier uh, when it comes to these things. So, I mean, that's why we kind of decided to incorporate a broader spectrum of, of, uh, of uh, needs and um, incorporate that into our rating system a bit better just to give people a better picture of what they can expect when they show up to these trails rather than maybe driving, I don't know, how many how many minutes or hours away to get to these trails only to find out that they can't actually use the trail they had they had hoped for so that's kind of why we we started to bring those kind of factors into it as well not not just uh, uh i myself am quite blessed that i can get away with uh, a lot when it comes to um to accessibility and kind of make do um, and I have an awesome crew and friends to help me uh, get there as well. But uh, like I said, a lot of people have different needs and uh, based on their abilities and um, and access to some of these uh, facilities or, or uh, parking spots or ease of access to a trail is 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 a make or break deal for quite a few people. So whether it's it's in reference to the parking lot or the trailhead or or the trail itself, what I want to finish this conversation on is is uh, what can uh, trail associations, land managers, and and individual trail builders do uh, to try to make sure that that there are as as few if if none. Uh, if if no barriers uh, existing out there on uh, the trails or, or the the trail networks, um, what what kind of takeaways can people have to to try to improve on accessibility out there uh, for mountain bike trail networks? I take more of a general approach, and I just say to these people, uh, have a chat with one of us. We're not out there to rip up trails or drastically change trails. We just want some very minor modifications to make things accessible. I think you get a lot of information when you're just physically there and you see someone, uh, an adaptive bike, doing their thing and very little actually has to be said. You learn a lot from just viewing. Um, so, yeah, just get out there, have a chat with someone who's in that position and, yeah, the world's your oyster. I, I totally agree with that. We definitely don't want to, Brent and I were talking earlier, um, and we use the, the term dumbed down trails. Of course, that's not the goal. I do, like with new trails though, I do like to, I use the term and the hashtag make it 48. <laughs> make it 48, bro. 
Um, <laughs> um, help me out. Um, but also, um, just when it comes to the parking lots and the uh, the trailheads and the access gates, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in just you know every trail area having at least one access point. Figuring out where that could be, where there's the space for that, where it's flat. And, you know, I don't mind driving out of my way a little more to get to that access point if I have to. It's not a big deal. And, and if, if, I can, if I can get into the trail system, you know, that's, that's the main thing. So every area may be designating, you know, if there's not, you know, designating one trailhead staging area as the quote unquote accessible area. And then making sure um, the gates uh, are any obstacles along the way are um, don't stop an adaptive mountain bike. Um, I think that's the start. And then, you know, just doing that one trail system at a time. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a one trail at a time type deal. But like I've come across a, uh, a few trails where, I mean, 90 percent of the trail is almost like amtb ready to go as is without really any work except for like maybe one one tree pinch point or one really awkward rock drop that's a mandatory with no ride around i mean a lot of the trails that are out there don't need that much work in order to just to make them fully amtb friendly as far as like the physicality of the bike getting through now that being said i mean they're still depending on what uh what rating the trail is i mean I mean, you can't like it, to that to that point. I mean, uh, that uh, Jeremy made would please do not dumb down the trails. I mean, we're looking for the the nice intense arm pump trails that really get your blood flowing, as well as the ones that are like nice, easy, like Sunday morning lomers where you just kind of take her easy and have it going. But I mean, the whole idea of of uh, adaptive mountain bike trails is not to make them really easy, like you can push a, a shopping cart down these things. I mean, we're looking for some. I mean, uh, some riders are looking for some really intense, like double black diamond trails. The only thing is, is that they're just physically not capable of fitting down these trails. So, I mean, it, it, it's not that we're looking to make every adaptive trail an easy trail. It, it that We are looking to progress and without harder and harder trails out there as well. I mean, the progression of the sport wouldn't happen either. So, I mean, and back to my point there where... Uh, uh, it's 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 kind of hard to describe how an AMTB bike kind of rides down a trail. Even just talking about it, I mean, it's something that it's it's kind of uncomparable to to any anything I've ever ridden before. I mean, it's it's a quad, it's a it's a bike, it's both, but in a in a very weird way, um, and reacts a lot differently to, to uh, terrain than um, than a two wheeled bike would. Before before actually getting in one of these myself, I had no clue as to what these things could handle or anything like that so i can't even imagine what a trail builder is going through trying to figure out how an amtb trail would look like so i mean <laughs> aside from lending him my bike for the day and being like take take it down the trail and ha have a go at it and then you, you'll be able to figure it out uh, almost better than i am with the the knowledge of the trail building that they have but yeah, I mean, back to the point there where a lot of the trails that are out there don't actually require that much work in order to make them uh, adaptive bike friendly as is. Um, it's just uh, it's just getting getting the knowledge and and uh, the information out there to the builders to the so that they know um, what they can expect and what they can look for when when designing and building trails. 
Yeah, I mean, the bikes definitely handle a lot different than, than a two-wheeled bike. And trying to explain that is hard to to any able-bodied person uh, as well because, you know, all of our functions are a little bit different. Your core function, your this or that. You know, like you guys, I love to to push it and um, and being able to try to kind of explain how the setup on a bike, on one of our bikes works, um, is is difficult. We can have a whole, you know, range of, of trails that we can continue to build off of. And I do think that, that you're right, Ethan, I think there's a lot of trails right now that, that we can already access and, and, and get to, you know, except for case of pinch points and, and bridges and things like that. But I do think that conversations like this are, are awesome because we're getting, these conversations are getting started. Um, and, you know, the sport is still so new. So to be able to have conversations like this and, and get these, these thoughts down, um, I think are really important. Fantastic. Well, you know, I, I, it gets, you know, me thinking and, and, and kind of my, uh, my brain just working a little bit about what I can do on, on some of the, the trail maintenance that, that I do. And, and also just, you know, wanting more experience as well, wanting to kind of get out there and, and, and see what, uh, these bikes look loud, uh, look like out on the trails. And, and hopefully, um, you know, the takeaway for this, that, that, uh, that I certainly have, and, and hopefully for some of the other trail builders that are listening is, you know, giving, uh, trying to gain an opportunity to just get out there and actually see what this looks like on the trails that, uh, that we maintain and, and build. Cause I think that's probably the most important part is just actually seeing this for themselves. And, and, uh, and I don't know what the policy is on, on riding, uh, one of your bikes. I know I generally don't like to lend out my bike to people, so, uh, I'm okay with, uh, with it being a no to borrowing your bicycle, but definitely just, uh, <laughs> just, just seeing, uh, it out on the trail is, is going to be beneficial. <laughs> no, Brent, you could take my bike out for a rip anytime, man. <laughs> take my bike out with a $10,000 deposit. Perfect. Well, that's that sounds fair. That sounds totally fair. So thanks so much, everybody, for just uh, agreeing to, to do this and, and having this conversation. I, I really appreciate it. I think it's it's going to be hugely beneficial to, to everybody out there. And, uh, and, and yeah, thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, Brent, for having me and all of us. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers, Brent. Good to hear from you, guys. Thanks, everybody. Hopefully this conversation has inspired you to think about the barriers that exist on your trail networks. After spending the last three or four weeks researching, recording, and editing this episode, I've started to see my local trails in a new light. A little while back, one of our trails was adjusted to allow for AMTB access, and it's a great example of the minor changes that needed to make that possible. And the improvements made the trail better for everyone, not just AMTB riders. What I recently realized is that despite the trail being accessible, there is no accessible parking. The parking lot is gravel, there's no lines painted, even if someone found a spot with plenty of room to get out of their chair and into their AMTB, there's no guarantee that someone won't park next to them and prevent them from being able to get back into their vehicle at the end of their ride. I sent this feedback to the land manager, which in this case is the municipality, and I probably received the fastest response of my life from an elected official. Within an hour, a city councillor gave me a call. Now, I'm still waiting on a solution, but I've been sure to follow up, and, and I know something will happen. 
Now, just this past week, Ethan was kind enough to meet with all of the local builders and answer some questions. I'm excited to see what some of those builders will do with their new knowledge, and hopefully this conversation will inspire you as well. A big thanks to all of my guests, Tara, Jeremy, Ethan, and Andrew. In the show notes, you'll find the three rating systems I mentioned during our conversation. I've also included the links to each of the guests' various organizations. One quick note, Jeremy and Sport on USA will be rebranding very soon to the Unpavement, so keep your eyes out for that. Now I'm just going to throw my Trail Forks hat on for a quick moment. I'm currently working on an AMTB ambassador program for Trail Forks. If you're an adaptive mountain biker and you're interested in curating which trails and points of interest on Trail Forks are accessible, then send me an email at brent at pinkbike.com. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. You can send me an email or audio file to info at frontlinesmtb.com. You can stream the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And if you haven't done so already, leave us a review at wherever you get the show. It helps others find the podcast. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes, along with a link to the Frontline's MTB Book Club. And remember, a portion of any purchases made on Amazon after following those links will be sent to the podcast. This podcast is possible through donations and support from listeners like you. On Sunday, June 24th, I'll be facilitating the Diggers discussion at the Plaid Goat Mountain Bike Festival in Canmore, Alberta. I'm looking forward to seeing some of you there. If you're in the Canmore area and you haven't got the invite, then send me an email and we'll get you into this private event. And there will be coffee and beer. And on November 6th and 7th, I'll be at the MTB State Summit. This event is being hosted by the Michigan Mountain Bike Association, the Vermont Mountain Bike Association, and the Jersey Off-Road Bicycle Association in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's open to mountain bike chapters, clubs, and organizations of all types and affiliations. The summit aims to be productive, collaborative, and tangible even beyond the event itself. It's only open to 100 participants, so if you're interested, please follow the link in the show notes and you can learn more and sign up there. All proceeds will go towards two grants that as a participating organization, you can apply for. You can also find similar events in your area at frontlinesmtb.com events. You'll find a Google calendar with trail advocacy, symposiums, conferences, and discussions. If you want your event included in that calendar, then send me an email with the details. Next episode is going to be a bit different and you'll simply need to tune in to find out more. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevear, production notes by Jennifer Pride, Artwork is created by Brandon Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative. Finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening, and happy trails.